Let me tell you the story, or the journey of this sermon, really. The journey, that's a better name for it. So, first, Craig was going to start a series called Rock Bottom. Now, I'm a child of the 90s, so when I hear Rock Bottom, I think of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Because that was his finishing move, the Rock Bottom. And, uh, like, a, I'm the youth pastor. I get, I get distracted easily. So, that's what I thought of. Craig told me to grow up. And then we moved on. Uh, but he got, he got this series, the, the first sermon of the series done by Tuesday. He was pumped. He would say that it wasn't a big deal that he got it done by Tuesday. He's too humble sometimes. It is a big deal that he got it done by Tuesday. I do this job too. And the man can write a sermon in the amount of time I get a good opening done. Like by Tuesday, I'm on my third rewrite. And he's done. So, this isn't, so anyways, this isn't about my bitterness and Craig's creativity. But... The sermon was done by Tuesday morning, but then Craig kind of came to this, or these two realizations about this rock bottom series. The first one was that because we don't have children's ministry going on right now, a lot of us, our kids are with us, if you have kids, in, his, in Gavin's ministry, and this series was going to discuss a lot of heavy topics. And, and in the way he needed to present it to adults, it would be hard to balance that and not overwhelm. Uh, the little ones at the same time. And the second one, the second realization, which I think is the most important, is the importance of these rock-bottom topics needed to be shared at a time when we can more confidently encourage you to bring your friends and your neighbors uh, who might want to hear about what God has to say about struggles and trials and depression and other things in that area. So he talks with Stacy on Wednesday, I guess, and then Thursday morning, about 8.30, he asked us to come into his office. Now, 8.30 is about the time I get there. Gavin and Lexi get there a little bit after me. And I thought somebody was in trouble, uh, namely me, because I, I tend to push back Craig's button sometimes. But uh, he tells us that he's, he's, think, he's rethinking of the, the sermon schedule, and he wants to go with his neighborhood watch, and he wants us to know what we think, and we agree with those realizations. So... We're starting this series today. Now, he cranks out his creativity engine again and writes this sermon in a, in a day. He writes it in a day. And I know that makes me pr seem petty and basic, but I, I feel safe with you all. So, but wait, there's more. Because I don't know if you've noticed by now, I am not the handsome and creative ginger you all know and love up here. Because that's when the drama happened. And yesterday or I guess Friday now, Craig, Craig needed to go up there to be with his mom and his dad, and that's where he needs to be. And like I said, you're all, it's different today because you're all used to getting a little bit of warning before I come up here. Yet here we are. So I'm going to take this message that Craig worked on and use it as the, on, and as the bones of what we're going to talk about today. And when I say that, I mean this is about 90% Craig. So we're going to get, begin this series called Neighborhood Watch. I've never been part of a Neighborhood Watch, nor have I lived in a neighborhood that had one. In my part of West Virginia, we don't call them Neighborhood Watches, but that's a tra trail we'll go down another day. It's really about, I guess at its core, looking out for one another, taking an interest in your neighbors, valuing one another, and having a level of mutual respect in the way that you keep an eye on them and their property as they do the same for you. 
That's what it's supposed to be, I guess. But what we want to talk about in this series is expanding and widening our idea of what the neighborhood even is. And diving deep into the biblical idea of where to watch out for, care for, and love our neighbors. So we're going to use last week's sermon that Craig did, uh, How to Love People You Disagree With. And if you haven't watched it, I, I encourage you, uh, both in the room or online, uh, if you haven't watched it, to do so. And he talked for a few moments about basing our relationships with people on the fact that they are creations of God instead of basing those relationships on our differences. And, and that's, a, that's an important distinction. I hope you agree with me when I say that every person has value and it's God-given. From a human perspective, we might base someone's value on their assets or their annual income or their net worth. We might value certain personality traits above others. For example, a good sense of humor might give someone more value in your eyes. But that's not real value. In the summer of 2005, the London Zoo opened a new exhibit. It was located in the primate area, but in this particular enclosure, they placed eight human beings who had been chosen from an online contest. They lived in an enclosure playing board games, lying in the sun, waving to people walking by their exit or exhibit. There were signs up describing their diet, their habitat, their worldwide distribution, and more, just like all the other species and all the other exhibits. The stated goal of creating this was to downplay the uniqueness of human beings as a species. Now, I don't really understand why that would be a goal worth pursuing, but one of the participants seemed to agree because after the exhibit was over and a, a reporter caught him on the way out, he said a lot of people think that humans are above other animals. When they see humans as animals here, though, it reminds us that we're not that special. And there is a portion of our society that likes to suggest, loudly even, that we, are, we humans are nothing more than slightly developed versions of animal life. And here's what I say to that. There are too many voices telling too many humans how worthless they are, how undeserving they are of all that they have, how little value they have or deserve. The question comes to mind, why is it seemingly become part of our nature to knock each other down so much? See, what I believe is that each of us have a God-given intrinsic value that cannot be taken away. And we find the beginnings of our support for that belief in the beginning. In the book of Genesis, we read in Genesis chapter 1, the account of creation, day by day. And on the sixth day, we read this in 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals of the earth. And small animals that scurry along the ground. In 27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And in Genesis 2, we get a more detailed description of this. In verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Let's take a little bit closer look at that verse. Description of God creating man. The Hebrew word that's translated to formed in that verse is the same word that means to form or fashion in the way a potter forms or fashions a clay vessel. It's the same word used to describe a, a wood carver, how the way they form and carve a wood carving. And so what we're talking about is God creating, specifically 
understanding that he did so with detail and delicacy and precision. God created a lot of amazing things because he created everything. He created the stars. Have you ever tried to count the stars? You don't get very far before you realize it's impossible. And that's the amazing part of creation. In verses 14 through 18 in chapter 1, it's described like this. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days, the years. Let these lights of the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the one larger to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night, and he made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and the night to separate the light from the darkness. God saw it, and it was good. God spoke the stars in the sky. He set them there. And he could have just as easily spoke us into existence. But instead, he formed us. Now, before we get too full of ourselves, as humans, you'll notice later in chapter 2 of Genesis, the same word formed coming up again. Talking about something else other than humans in 19. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. They are formed too. But there is a distinction that we find in the second half of that description of God forming man. If we go back to 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Same. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. So God not only formed man with precision and detail, he directly brought life to the man with his own breath. No other creation is described this way. Hand formed by God with his breath of life in us. You know, sometimes we talk about people who don't believe in God and we say they just need to look at creation and, and they'll realize there has to be a God. We tell them to look at the beautiful trees and the flowers to even look at the stars. But the true marvel of creation is a creation God took extra care with, and that's us. But sometimes we don't. We aren't the best example of that. And my hope would be that if we could see that, then maybe we'd begin to look at one another differently. We see each other with more value based on God's care and creation. We already read 126, but let's read, look at it again. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth. The small animals that scurry along the ground. You see, no other creation was intended to be in his image, to be like him. No other creation was given this position to reign over everything else. We were created by God to be his recognized representatives on this earth, as many biblical commentators would state it, made in his image and likeness. I have a seventh-month-old baby. You're all, I mean, they're here, which with, I would say a lot of people would know them, but with the stay-at-home order, not a lot of people have gotten to meet Tessa Knox. And one of the, when you have a baby, one, you learn some cliche things people say. Uh, one is, who do you think she looks like? Or they already have ideas and say, oh, she looks just like you. But obviously, they do look like me. <laughs> Those beards are coming in nice. 
So when someone suggests that one of my girls is a spitting image of me, they're not saying that she is me. They're saying that there are deep similarities in appearance, mannerism, attitude, and any number of areas. And so when we suggest that we're made in the image of God, it's not arrogance. But it does mean that we are representations of God in this world and that we are as much like God as any physical, physical being can be here. It's not necessarily taking, talking about the physical description. It's also his characteristics. You see, we believe God is love and that he is compassionate and that he cares for his creation. And we have those same capabilities as well. And that love, that compassion, that care, what should come through in how we live how we care for one another, because we are all special. We're all formed and breathed into creations of God. And when we talk about the value of humans, we inevitably find our way to Psalm 139. This is a psalm that is known to be written by King David. In this particular psalm, David expresses worship to God in the acknowledgement that God knows everything there is to know about him. Everything he would do and say, every thought that he would have, everything that was in his heart, all of those things are true even before he was born. Let me read a part of it, 13 through 16 in 1 Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in, the utter, in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I don't know how we can read those words and have any questions about the value of every single life, each one created by God, unless you simply don't believe that we are creations of God. I truly believe that when we begin to understand the value in being a creation of God and being made in the image of God, of being known by God. It should change the way we view ourselves and should tr change the way we treat each other, our neighbor, our fellow man. I mean, let's consider what Jesus said when we read these words that Craig shared with us last week. When, he, when, asked Jesus, when Jesus was asked what were the most important, the greatest commandment was, here's what he said. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And there's a lot of temptation there. A lot of us may experience today and really anytime we read or hear that verse where we say, well, that, that's great, Anthony. Thanks for the reminder. I already do that. In a lot of ways, I would agree. I think I am preaching to the choir. I think a lot of us are pretty good at seeing people through the right eyes and valuing people. I think, I think we can say we put a good amount of effort into considering how we'd like to be treated and use it as a baseline for how we treat others. But we're still human. And as long as we're on this earth, we're not perfect. And I'm not sure we have it always figured out. And I know at least I do. But we struggle with it from time to time. Because too often we find ourselves ba judging others based on a lot of different criteria. And we value others based on a lot of different criteria too. We're, you see, as humans, we're really good at making assumptions. I mean really good at it. 
We like to live in the truth, or that this is truth, and like this is just the way it is, that you can tell a lot about a person by the car they drive, the house they live in, the job they have, the way they talk, the way they dress, the job they have, the house that they buy, the choices they make now, the choices they made then, their priorities, their generosity or lack thereof, their preferences, the school they attend, if they went to school at all, their favorite sports teams, for goodness sake, their favorite NASCAR drivers, if they like Apple or Android, their apparent level of cleanliness, their annual income, their net worth, who they love, the people they associate with, their relationship choices, the music they listen to, and right now, whether they're willing to wear a mask or not, we make these judgments. And my point is that there's no real end to the list of criteria we use unintentionally or unintentionally to pass judgment on other people. And because that's how the human mind seems to work. We end up intentionally or unintentionally assigning people value based on pointless criteria. Because none of it matters in the least. None of it matters at all. When we change our way of thinking, when we understand that they are, that humans, that each and every one of us are first and foremost made by God in his image and likeness, they aren't perfect, neither are we, but they are made by God in his image and likeness. They have sin, so do we, but they are still made by God in his image and likeness. They are terrible to us, but they are made by God in his image and likeness. They may not believe God exists, but they are still made by God in his image and likeness. They may hate us for believing that God exists, but they are still made by his image and likeness. It does not matter, each and every one of us on this earth is made by God in his image and likeness. See, we, if we run our view of people through filters we have no business viewing them through, we're wrong. When we see them as made by God in his image and likeness, it is only then that we can truly begin to be, kind, to be the kind of neighbor God has called us to be to all mankind. And that is where we're heading in this series, and I hope we're ready. Because if we take this seriously, it'll change the way we view our neighbors, everyone, forever. And that's where I want to stop this morning.